greetings to all of you. And as they say in Kenya, all protocol observed. <laughs> it's a clever way of avoiding to make a mistake when you don't know the protocol. <laughs> right? Isn't it? When you don't know the protocol, you don't know who's where. So Kenyans have devised a clever way saying um, good morning ladies and gentlemen, all protocol observed. And that means I have sorted everybody according to where you are, according to the pecking order and all that stuff. So I, I decided to also be clever. Good morning all protocol not observed. <laughs> well, good to see you. Let's get into the word. Let's get into the word. Um, we have a mandate here. Soon we will get to complete this task. Okay. So um, the reason we're taking time to explore this and understand this is that we're dealing with, I don't want to call him formidable, but a really a powerful enemy. Okay, he's defeatable, but he's powerful. Um, and it would be a deception to assume that he has no power. He has power. It would be a deception to assume that he's stupid. No, he's intelligent, very calculating. And his weapons are also very well deployed. He has an organized structure. In fact, one of the favorite scriptures believers refer to when they want to talk about, about the fact that there is an ongoing war, is Ephesians 6.12, isn't it? In Ephesians 6.12, we say, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. What is that? It's an organized structure. So it's a governmental structure, well organized. So the enemy is not haphazard. Okay? He doesn't shoot in the dark. He calculates. He plans. He plots. He arranges. And when we look at the New Testament and look at the prototype son, prototype son, Jesus Christ, we can see that every attack by the enemy that was directed at Jesus Christ, which is documented for us, is a very strategic attack. Hello? It's not a hazard. It's strategic. When he was using the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you can see this calculating around the, the attack. This one is, when this one is pulled down, he, root recalculation, <laughs> root recalculation like your maps, eh? And then he finds another root and he tries again. And he's persistent. He's persistent. Why is he persistent? Because it has worked before. It has worked before. It worked with Adam and Eve, so he knows it can work. So he doesn't stop, he keeps trying. And apart from Adam and Eve, many children of Adam and Eve have fallen victim to his schemes. So he knows it works. And so we're taking time because it's a scheme. It's very calculated. And then he's designed the system with which he deploys his attacks to appeal to the natural orientation of the human soul. So that makes you and I pretty susceptible. Very gullible. Easy to take. Hello? Hello? How many of you have ever caught um, this, you've seen these traps that they spring for birds and catch them for alurus. The aluru peoples, eh? No, the alurus, quero, quero, quero. The wild quero, the one that you, you have to catch it in the bush. Huh? You find what appeals. You don't just catch it. 
You'll never catch quero by hanging fish somewhere. <laughs> they won't come. You find what appeals. So first, they deploy the food or make sure the food is there. But then secondly, they bring the mates. So they, the, the breeders would catch some. So they can set it up to make all this noise that would attract the rest. When they come, they find food. And there's a, their mannerisms are known. And so they're caught. Hello? Hello? Yeah. You will never catch a dog by presenting it to the Mindy Boyo. Say, doggy, doggy, unless you trained it so. <laughs> it doesn't appeal to the dog. It's natural orientation. Are you with me? So how do you catch it? Find what appeals to it. And that's what the enemy has structured. And that's why we're taking time to disentangle ourselves, to make sure that his systems have no more appeal. So in the next part, which is where we've come for almost three weeks now, God help us, we should close that slide. Next slide. That God has set up an antidote to the world system. Why? Because God has not left you defenseless, or God does not ignore your plight. God doesn't look at you and say, Utajisot. So he knows what the enemy is planning, and so what he has done is he's given us an antidote. And what's the antidote? The first one is that... Renew your mind. Be a nonconformist. Renew your mind. If you renew your mind, you do not fit the mold of the world system. You think differently. And we've, 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 we've belabored that point. I don't need to go back to it. But you think differently. What appeals to you is different. And so you become a nonconformist. You do not become a nonconformist by willpower. Hello? Let me repeat, you don't become an unconformist by willpower. Should you try that, you will fall victim to all this long list of New Year resolutions and Christian resolutions that never materialize. Because the willpower is still of the soul. So you become a nonconformist by renewing your mind. Okay, look at this, guys. In Revelations, he says, and they overcame. They was not a few people, Okay. There was a multitude of the body of believers that have crossed over victoriously. And he said they overcame by the word of their testimony, by the blood of the Lamb, and doing what? Shying not away from death, loving not their lives even unto death. How is it that this whole group of people were characterized as such? There must have been a process that produced them to be like that. Did that make sense? Did I make sense? Did I make sense? Let's use analogy type of thinking so it helps us see what Revelations 12, 11 again. If while we're sitting here right now, we hear a roar, the roar of a lion outside there, and it's not in Stedmark, it has come. Okay? Then when we hear the roar of a lion, all eyes turn, you guys are facing this, you're right, so all eyes turn right. And when we turn right, we all see it. All of us, we see it clear as day. There it is, a big, a huge, a, a, what's another word for describing it? A humongous lion. We see it very clear there. And because, forget this, blind us, um, there is clear sight for us. The lion also sees us clearly. And he sees all of us clearly. 
and it roars again. What's our reaction? Sorry? Watoto akwapi, fight, flight, flight, eh? It's flight, eh? Flight. Okay, lock the doors, I need to see. Now, check this. So say you, you are the only visitor in this camp. The only visitor. You, this is your first time. By the way, is there any visitor with us today? Hello, you are a visitor? Hello, any visitor? Okay, so you are the only visitor in this camp today. This is your first time to fellowship with us. And when you're sitting here, suddenly, the lion shows up. It has come from Stedmark for a visit, for a church service. And it's there, and we have clear sight of each other, and it roars. And then suddenly, you're the visitor. This is you observing. Suddenly, everybody gets up and rushes towards the lion. All of them, plus the children, they rush towards the lion. What do you think? As a visitor. What do you think? Maybe it's their pet, eh? <laughs> but let's say it's not their pet. What do you think as a visitor? Huh? They are courageous. They, I mean, that reaction by everyone without fail tells you something about this community of people. Alright? It will tell you straight away. It tells you this is not a chance occurrence. Come on. Stay with me. That's not a chance occurrence. If it was a chance occurrence, some may have run that way, others may have run away. But they all unanimously went for the lion. And the way they went for the lion, they were so on point that the lion took off. You know something is about these people. Why? Because it can't be by chance that all of them had the courage or the guts to go after the lion. It can't be. So it starts to reveal to you that there is a processing happening in this place. And immediately it reveals to you, if you're analytical or clear thinker, you know if I hang around here, I will soon run at lions. So yeah, you, you realize, no, 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 that was not by chance. You just see Alex's short baby. Alex, I didn't say anything about you. <laughs> you see Alex's short baby, who was closest to the door. When the lion roars, he's the first one. Mr. Asher is, what are you roaring at here? And everybody, adults running after it, you know something is about these people, and that something is not by chance. True? Well, Revelations 12 speaks of a whole bunch of people. A whole bunch of them. And it says, and they overcame. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and loving not their lives even unto death. I'm picking the third characteristic because it ties with what we're saying. How is it that this whole bunch of people unanimously did not love their lives even unto death? What's going on? There's a process. There's a process that has turned them such. They renewed their minds. And then the second point is that what? They died to self. The results, I gave you the results of mind renewal, isn't it? We reviewed that last week. We don't need to do that today. And they died to self. So this was unlocking for us the second element that makes the world system appeal to human beings. Self-provision, self-preservation, isn't it? And now, the death to self 
disentangles you from the need for self-preservation because you're already dead. What are you preserving? Hello? What are you preserving? <laughs> Hi. What are you preserving? <laughs> okay, so listen to this. I, somebody read me this from a, a Facebook post. <laughs> he said, there's a certain guy who wrote to all his friends, say to all my friends on his wall, to all my friends. He said, if I die, do not. He said, if I die, and I died in hospital, do not touch money in my account to pay for the hospital bill. Use it to educate my children and do not sell my plot to pay the bill. You see, see what's happening? A dead man has come to the end of self-interest. So he said it. He said, when I coof, when I die, he said, don't touch my account to pay the hospital bill. Don't fundraise to pay the hospital bill. Don't sell my plot to pay the hospital bill. That money, let it be used for my children and their well-being. As for the cadaver, the body, leave it to the hospital. Let them do what they like. Because I ain't there, you know? Hello? Okay, you guys don't like that one. <laughs> so those are pointers that have been given from, from last week. I know I said more than those things, um, but Mr. Musembi, I've been given 10%. We can continue. It's almost reached 11 we can now continue with that. Well, now listen. <coughs> when we speak about death to self, the general perception about death to self is, um, is around fleshly or carnal things, isn't it? It's generally, there's a general perception like that. It's about fleshly or worldly or carnal things. I want to put a second twist to it, still on death to self, and then now we can move to the last point for Brother's Keeper. So let's see how we fare on. So, because the general perception is around sin. So death to self, sin. Cynthia? Say you die to self. What do you think I'm telling that person that I'm telling die to self? Well, there's possibly sin or, or worldliness in their life, isn't it? So let's open the second side of this twist. And then we see how the whole picture ties up as an antidote that God gives us uh, against the world system. Um, so I'm going to make reference to some scriptures. We may read some pretty quickly. Uh, I want to bring this all together. Let's look at Genesis 25. Genesis 25, verse 21 to 28. Death to self, right? Hello? Queen your life, queen your life, queen your life. Yeah, that's good. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So this is Isaac, Rebekah, right? And Rebekah, <coughs> his wife, uh, conceived the next verse. I will read a couple of them, maybe three or four. And the children struggled together within her. Now, I want you to, please, please, I'm framing what we are doing. We're looking at a flip side, death to self. The general perception around death to self is something carnal, something evil, something worldly, something devilish. And we want to die to self. Death to malice, death to envy, death that's good. That's very good. 
but I want you to see still a fact of death to self. So, and the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. So she went to inquire of the Lord. There's a struggle going on in my womb. What's going on? Verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, two nations. Hmm? Where? Two nations. I like the way the Lord speaks. Two nations. See what Toto Awili? Walk on the nations. Two nations are in thy womb. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. Who said... Who said? Two men of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and one people shall be stronger than the other people. One people shall be stronger than the other people. Next time, Ukinisikia you are one people. Don't correct me. It's, it's, it's in the Bible. One people. Yeah? Not one person. One people. Anyway, he was speaking in terms of the nation. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the elder shall serve the younger. Question, who's the stronger? The younger, isn't it? The elder shall serve the younger. Let's go on a bit. 24. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, there were twins in her womb. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, there were twins in her womb. And the next verse. And the first came out red all over like an hairy garment and they call his name Esau or Esau, whatever you prefer. Esau, Esau, Esau. Huh? It sounds like a Kamba name. <laughs> Esau. Esau, eh? And the first came out red all over like an hairy garment and they called his name Esau. So the first one is Esau, isn't it? And then so, of course, because they are twins, they are the same age. The older is determined by who's born first. Okay? Because they are the same age. So, the elder shall serve the younger. So, whoever is born first, there are two separate nations, but whoever is born first will serve the one coming last. And so, what happened? The first came out red all over like a hairy garment. They called his name Esau, the next one. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bare them. Now, I've had people teach that because Jacob came out holding Esau's uh, heel, uh, it was showing the character of the young boy and what he was, and etc. and etc. Not really. Um, this was now uh, a symbolic demonstration to Rebecca exactly what the Lord had already spoken to her. God has told her, there are two nations in you. And when they are born, the two nations, that's why there's a striving. They are totally different people. And he says, the older, uh, one people shall be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. And so when they are born, the firstborn is the older, and he's red, hairy, and they call him Esau. Then after him comes his brother, who's holding on to his heel, and it confirms, indeed, this is like a contest going on. But then when he comes out, he's Jacob. Uh, they call him Jacob, and that's his picture. Good. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 27. And the boys grew. So they were normal. They're just boys, yeah? They grew. And Esau was a cunning hunter, 
and a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so this is just a small detour, uh, especially for parents. Okay. You know, if all you see in those children is that they are just children, bad old dream and bombing. See, even Rebecca went further. They knew these are nations. These are different people. And so it was easy to raise them in a fashion that would allow them to be who they are. Okay? I mean, um, and the boys grew, and da, da, da. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Uh, Jacob attacked him as scratches, Namanini, nice guy, uh, domestic man. That's what they're saying. Esau is a wild guy. So he has to go find himself something in the bush and eat it. And the idea is he has to, he enjoys the fruit of his own hard work, labor, his own means and everything. Anyway, that's too much. 28. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his vention. Uh, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So you have these two kids with two different destinies. You're with me? But there is a prophetic declaration or there is a divine declaration about the last child. And he says he's going to be greater than the other one. And the older one will serve him. But who is speaking? God. And when God is speaking, we understand that the the, 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 the things that the Lord is saying are stringed together by his purpose, the continuity of his purpose. Okay? So it's not just an, an occurrence and he looks at these guys and he's like, wow, these guys are cool. Let's do this. Let's say this about this one and say this about the other. No. There is a continuity or there's a continuous unfolding of the purpose of God from the days of Adam. God is in the business of reconciling man to himself. And so, as he's doing it, by the way, this is something we've already covered extensively where we came from, the purpose for which God created man and it is it. And so, God is at work doing that. And so, the greatness that God is speaking about here cannot be defined in human terms because then it should have been declared by a man. It's a greatness declared by God and so it's defined in divine terms and in the divine terms, it is this guy becomes the carrier of the progression of his purpose into the next generation. Are you with me? Hello? Hello? Anyway, when Rebecca went to inquire of the Lord, she had that. So Rebecca knew that the older will serve the younger. She knew it. So even as she's raising them, she knows. Jacob will be the greater one. But Isaac loved meat, wild meat. See, it's, it's there, it's there. Why did Isaac love Esau? Because he ate of? He ate of wild meat, he ate game meat. Because the young man went to hunt, prepared it, and brought it to his dad. So he liked it. So he liked the meat, he liked the boy. Isaac is one of those patriarchs you study and you... you it's, it's, interesting. The only blind patriarch. The, the one who had issues here. So anyway, he's determined that Esau is the one I will bless. <laughs> he's determined. Why is he determined? Because I like meat. Hmm? Isaac was Maasai. 
I like meat. I'm going to eat meat. This boy brings me game meat, and it's sweet, and it's nice, and it's even better than Rebecca's food. <laughs> so I'm going to bless him. I'm going to bless him. So he's determined. And on the other side, Rebecca is determined. She knows there's a prophetic declaration about the life of the younger guy, and she's determined. So that's what led us into the scenario we commonly know about Jacob and Esau, isn't it? Jacob and Esau, the, the, the tassel that went on was fueled by the parents. Hello? It was fueled by the parents. And so there's this tassel, the story of which you know very well, that in the end, Isaac is blind, he's coming to the end of his days, and he says, in order to release all these blessings from me, I want one more round of game meat. <laughs> and Rebecca has had it, and she's determined, I will show you I can cook better than Esau. I can cook goat until you taste it. Sounds, it feels like game meat. And so they start this scheming with Jacob and in the end set Jacob on a course which I really like and is what we will be exploring in the next 30 or so minutes. So, so there is a word of God. This is where I was going with the flip side of dying to self. There is a word of God. There is a prophetic or a divine declaration and unfortunately, in our scenario, there are human actors who are determined to help God bring it to pass. See where the self comes in now? Okay, it's not about everything evil and all that. But now I'm talking about the self-intervention when it comes to the fulfillment of divine declaration. Hello? So Rebecca is determined that what she had is what is going to come to pass. The, the older will serve the younger. The older will serve the younger even if we con their father. The older will serve the younger even if we deceive him. The, in fact, Jacob got so scared, if you read your Genesis, Genesis uh, up till about 27, 28. Jacob was so scared, he said, if my father discovers, I'll be cast. Rebecca said, let the cast come on me. You're going. We are getting this blessing by hook or crook. Wait, wait, wait. We are fulfilling the promise of God by hook or crook. 27, Genesis 27. Someone said amen to that. Did you hear? Did you guys hear? <laughs> I am not sure if you understood me. <laughs> Genesis 27 verse 1. Then we see this thing. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. That's very bad for a patriarch. Very bad. Very, very bad. Very contrary to the lives of the patriarchs we have seen. They, they went with clear sight. Uh, uh, that was a factor that God put out. Clear sight, both spiritually and naturally. But he says he old, his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here I am. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, again, I know not the day of my death. Very anti-patriarch. They knew. They were very, they knew it's time to go. Hmm? You know, later when his son here, Jacob, when it was time to go, Jacob said, Bring all my sons. And he was in bed, ill, Genesis 49. He was in bed, weak and ill. The Bible says Israel gathered himself up and sat. He said, bring them. Then he began to tell them what will come to pass. It's a patriarch uh, thing. But here's a man who loves meat. So 
it's causing problems here. So he said unto him, Behold, here I am. And, and then, of course, uh, he tells him to, let's not bother. There. He tells him to go get meat so he can eat and bless him. But what I'm saying is the conflict between Jacob and Esau is fueled by parents and it's fueled by Rebecca, who's determined to see the word of God fulfilled. The problem is she's determined to see it fulfilled by human mechanism. Second example, Exodus chapter 2. And there went a man out of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it uh, with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to witness what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go? And call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called who? So who was nursing Moses? Mother. Okay. Who was nursing Moses? The mother. So Moses was not nursed by the Egyptians, was nursed by the mom. And so raised in foundational things by the mom. That is how he knew he's Hebrew. Then when he had come of age or a stage where he no longer needed to be nursed or cared for as a, as a child, then passed on and trained in the Egyptian ways. That is why the Bible puts Moses in the book of Hebrews and says Moses chose to forsake being regarded as a prince in Egypt and instead determined to be identified with his brothers, the Hebrews. So he had power to choose because someone grounded him in his, you know, who he is, isn't it? But there's something else here. Now, when we jump to um, verse 11, so go to verse 11, and it says, It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren. So he knew, isn't it? Hello, come on, people. Ah. <laughs> went out to his brethren and looked on their burdens and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Verse 12. Verse 12. And he looked this way and that way. <laughs> so what happened? Moses has grown. He's no longer the child, but he's been grounded by his mother who nursed him, who raised him, who took care of him. Only that Pharaoh's daughter didn't know this is the mother. And so the mother had an opportunity to indoctrinate the child with the truth. And so he comes to a stage where he's taken out of the mother's hand and now trained in the Egyptian ways, in the royal ways. He's in the palace, so he has to behave like royalty. And then after that, he has grown in verse 11, and when he's grown, he goes to his brethren. So he knows. He knows. But there's something else he knows. He knows his destiny. 
So it is his destiny that is motivating him to do what he did. When he's looking left and right, and when he saw there was no one, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Strategy of delivering Israelites out of Egypt. Kill the Egyptians one by one and bury them in the sand. Huh? Mummified. But where is that strategy springing from? Self. Can you see? So he knows his destiny, but the problem here is that he is stepping out to see it finding fulfillment, but the driving factor is not God himself. <laughs> True? So he stepped out. He said, ah, how, how can he beat a Hebrew? And I'm here. Hmm? Kills that one. The next day, we don't need to read further. The next day he steps out and he finds, the next day he steps out and he finds um, two Hebrews fighting. And now, who shall I kill here? They are both my brothers. So he steps in to separate them and he's asked a question. Who made you our judge? Oh, 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 let me tell you. He assumed that position because he knew who he was called to be. The problem is not that he was called to be that. The problem is that the driving factor right now is a self. Okay, hang on a bit. Let's third example. In the, in the witness of two or three, Cindy, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Come on, hang on a bit, just a bit. Acts 7, 58. Look at this. So the context here is, uh, what was his name? Was he Philip or Stephen? Stephen, yeah. So Stephen has caused, has caused trouble. He's caused an uproar in the city. He's doing some wonderful things. And there are people who are determined to stop these Christians because it is contrary to their faith. They are serving God. I've told you here before, if you were in the Pharisee shoes, you would be the first one to say, kill that idiot. Kill him. Hmm? You don't wake up and just disrupt our world like that. Right? Hello? This Jesus comes, walks into the temple, messes up the whole setting. This Jesus is diverting traffic away from the temple to the streets, to himself. And he's teaching people to disregard the holy law of Moses that came from the mountain. Holy. Do you know how many of our fathers died for disrespecting that law? Who is this idiot? Kill him. Kill him quickly. That's the plan. So there's one who is zealous for God. Zealous. Zealous. The name is Saul. And he's troubled by the slow pace of these old Pharisees. <laughs> so he takes matters into his own hand. And he begins to sort these Christians. And in verse 58, when he had set up Stephen, and it was time to kill Stephen, to show you the mastermind, the people did what? Cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was? No, it's, it's one thing to, to carry the weapons and be, be destroying people. It's another thing to be the mastermind. Hitler, and you Hitler. <laughs> That's what he was. So he's orchestrating things from a mastermind level. But he's doing it zealously in the service of God. 
Who was Saul? Saul, in his own credentials, in the epistles, he says, I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You understand? Hello? See your league in Dogo? League premium. Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he says, of all the people, uh, historical theological history has five students of Gamaliel, only five, and he was one of them. Sober guy. Uh, I had Dr. Miles Monroe one time teaching, and he said, if we quit Paul's knowledge, Saul's knowledge then, as a student of Gamaliel and a Pharisee of the Pharisees, if we quit his knowledge with today's, make it contemporary education today, Saul was a holder of five PhDs. Hmm? And that was Dr. Miles Monroe, that's from his own PhD studies. So it's a five, five PhDs. That, that head is permanently damaged many times. Five. Five. Man is thoroughly educated, and he wonders what's wrong with all these old people. They are not moving swiftly to curb this menace. So he takes matters in his hands from verse 50, 58, isn't it? Uh, whose name was Saul. Go to chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, which is continuing straight from 58. Uh, consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church. There was a great persecution against the church, isn't it? When you read that in the book of Acts, what are you assuming? There was mayhem everywhere. Left, right, center, there was trouble, isn't it? There was a great persecution against the church, which was, in, which was at Jerusalem. And because of the pressure in Jerusalem, they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And Samaria, except the apostles. So, too much pressure, guys scattered. When guys scattered except the apostles, and they went out there, verse 2, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him, verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc. Who made havoc? As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house. Chairs and Isil. Every house. Every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Verse 4, therefore, they that were scattered abroad, this is a problem now, they were scattered abroad, they went, but they went preaching. So they went causing more trouble out there. When they were causing more trouble, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, and Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. I mean, of all the people, him he went, went unto the high priest. And what was his demand? Verse 2. And desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Like this, eh? Serious zeal. There's a verse in chapter 9, um, when Saul got converted. Uh, you can find that. Chapter 9. He says, when Saul got converted, the church had rest. <laughs> so there was only one persecutor. <laughs> it's in chapter 9. Just go read chapter 9, you'll see it. There was only one persecutor. One! Because it's in part chapter 9 that he gets converted. And the Bible says, and the church had rest. One, one. Now, he was doing it because he was convinced it's in the service of God. But his service of God was being fueled by self rather than the spirit. So he would not distinguish when he was up. 
Rebecca believed with all her heart they were fulfilling the word of God when they conned Isaac. <laughs> Moses knew he was in divine assignment when he killed the Egyptian. You see? Hello? I've given you three examples. I don't need to stretch it any further. Perhaps what I need to say now is, then how does God get us to the fulfillment of his assignment without the self? Yeah? How does he get us there? Well, the examples, they're still using the examples. Jacob, for God to get Jacob to the fulfillment of his assignment, he organized for him a Laban. <laughs> Brother Laban. My goodness. <laughs> Brother Laban. He organized for him Brother Laban. When Jacob arrived, he was welcomed. Kwashangwe Nanderemo. Jacob saw an uncle. Laban saw a slave. <laughs> and when he heard the story, this one has no hope of going anywhere because on the other side, Esau will kill you. So I've got a permanent worker. He starts setting him up. Man labors. After laboring, he says, you're my uncle. I was in their culture. Shall I marry your daughter? He said, easy. Give me seven years. Gives him seven years. Seven years to get himself the love of his youth. And then he is given something else. <laughs> the Bible has a beautiful way of telling you Leah was ugly. Ugly. She was ugly. And that's what he gets. And second, he says, you duped me. You say, I didn't dupe you. It's our culture. You can't marry the younger until you get the older. Oh, okay. Can I marry the younger? Yes, give me another seven. You know, when I say another seven, it reminds me of the teachers who used to beat us senseless. Another three? <laughs> so he gives him another seven. He labors hard for seven more years. And then he gets Rachel. And after getting Rachel, Laban is not moved. You got my daughters, Leah and Rachel. But you're going nowhere. You're going nowhere. So next, they get into this question of uh, you will be on wages. He changes the wages. He does what he wishes to do with him. And let me tell you, God has got him in a good place at a good place. Please hang around here a bit. I've got good news for you. So, he's got him at a good place. Then he does seven more years to try and get some, some property. You understand what I'm saying? This language is ringing home. Eh? And after the seven years, he's duped endlessly. But God is using the wickedness of Laban to prepare himself a vessel. So then, eventually, he has to leave. So he has Esau on one side, he has Laban on the other side. And what I want you to see is where God brought Jacob to. When he, had, when he exited, God preserved him from Laban and his sons and gave him material things to handle. And when he exited, Laban's country and he's on his way back home, at some point he gets word that Esau is coming and he's with an army of 400 men. 
He looks dangerous. And God uses that scenario to strip Jacob of everything you can associate with self-provision and self-preservation. You know, he has to send, send the servants, send the animals, send the concubines and their children, send everything until eventually he's left alone. And I like this. When Jacob was left alone, there was a wrestling. Hmm? What are we fighting for? What are you going to get hold of? And God has Jacob at the end of himself. Please follow me. At the end of himself. It is there that he was able to transform him from Jacob to Israel. Because the assignment or the divine declaration about the younger being served by the older pertained to Israel, not to Jacob. Hello. The second case, what did God do? What was his place? For Moses, it was Jethro's house. <laughs> and notice both cases, it's with no hope of returning. I mean, when will you return home? Esau has to die. And hopefully his children are not inflamed against you. So you are gone, gone for good. Jacob did not even attend his father's funeral. Neither his mother's. He was gone, gone. Yeah? Jacob was gone. That was, he got to a place of absolute hopelessness. Like it was finished. That's it. He was gone. And detached from the very thing he was pursuing so valiantly. They were, what were they conning their father for? Birthright. What's the birthright? The heritage of the firstborn. What is that? To get double portion of everything his father has. Never got it. Not ever. Moses from a prince in Egypt. One who has mastered the way of the Egyptians and knows the way of the Hebrew. From a deliverer. Ah, interesting. Even his name meant deliverer. So every time they called him, they were affirming. You know you're the deliverer. Yes, I know. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. And the right time came and he thought he has come. He had grown. He was mature. Oh. When Pharaoh got wind that he killed an Egyptian, Moses became a fugitive with no hope of returning. And God pushed him to the backside of the desert to a place where he had no hope of ever seeing the fulfillment of that call. All this time, God is aware. What's Moses doing? He's tending sheep. He's tending sheep. Until I'll... Man, this is crazy. Jacob did like 20-something years, isn't it? Moses did 40. Till that vision died. <laughs> Until there was nothing in him that could spark that flame at all. So much so that when the Lord appeared and said, Moses... I want to go to Egypt. He said, me. Where's the kind? Always make, always make, always make. God, always make, not me. In fact, he was looking for a way out of that assignment. Because now he has come to the end of himself. And he knows, can't deliver. What happened to, to Saul? God struck him down. This was the shortest, but it was not really that short. Because it's followed by another period shortly after. Because struck him down three days of blindness. Blindness. Look at what God does to him. Blind. And tells him, if you want your sight, go. He starts praying and fasting. You see, you, you know, we take Saul as if he was an Osama. He was not an Osama. <laughs> he, was, he believed he's serving God. 
That's why he goes into prayer and fasting. Hello? He's an adherent of Judaism. So he's following the Mosaic law. And so he's seeking God. And God speaks to him. From the vision, Saul now knows what's going on. Goes into prayer and fasting, and he comes to realization, I thought I was seeing, but I was seeing nothing. And the Lord has him at the end of himself, says, send for Ananias, one of those guys you are coming here to get hold of. Let them pray for you, and you'll receive your sight. Well, Saul assumed after receiving his sight, now I have got my marching orders, I can go and preach. They almost killed him. <laughs> the end result, 14 years in Arabia. Alone. You come to a place where you know there's nothing here. In fact, when he came back, he slipped in quietly. And he was sitting at Antioch until in Acts 13, the Lord shows up by the Holy Spirit and says, I want you to set aside for me Saul, uh, Paul and Silas for the work of the ministry. You, don't you? Please, please, <laughs> please. When he got his sight back, he wanted to go preach. He was ready to go preach. They almost killed him. He had to be brought down the wall from using a basket, and then he took off to the backside until they forgot him. When he sneaked back in, they've forgotten him. He's in Antioch, sitting and fellowshipping. It is then the Lord came and said, I've got work for you. Which you always thought, you know you have work for me. Okay. So Vincent, what are you saying? What are you saying? What's this about? And this is where we'll bring this one to a halt today. I want to introduce you to something that is an instrument of the Lord in helping you die to self. Luke chapter 3. And as the people were in expectation... All men muse in their hearts of John whether he were the Christ or not. So John has been doing some amazing things. And people are wondering, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? Verse 16, John answered, said unto them, saying unto them, I indeed baptize you with water. I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay? So, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And John is telling us about Jesus Christ's ministry. And he says... I am baptizing you with water. That's my mandate. That's my assignment. But there's one coming, and he's already here. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Are you with me? Hello? There's a twofold baptism here that marks the ministry of Jesus. He baptizes you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In Acts chapter 2, and I'll do this for the sake of, we would have read, but I'll do this for the sake of time. In Acts chapter 2, um, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells them, tarry in Jerusalem and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. After that, and you shall receive power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, uh, Samaria, Judea, and to the uttermost part of the world. 
Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he tells them that in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost comes upon them. And when the Holy Ghost comes upon them, the scriptures tell us that there were cloven tongues of fire upon them, isn't it? Please hear me. That is not the baptism. That is not the baptism with or of fire. That was an outward manifestation or the demonstration of the baptism of the Holy Ghost upon them. Please. Are you with me? Please note that. Otherwise, in Luke chapter, in Matthew chapter 4, uh, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, then he, experienced, he also experienced the baptism of doves. Right? You would say so. Why? Because there was an outward manifestation of a dove descending upon him. So if that outward manifestation is the baptism, then we would call it the baptism of doves. In Acts chapter 2, there is a baptism, and it's a baptism of the Holy Ghost, but there is yet another baptism that is administered by Jesus, and it's called the baptism with fire or fire. Are you with me? Hello? Are you with me? So this is an administration by Jesus Christ himself as the head of the body. As the head of the body. It's a baptism of fire. What is it? What is it? So the baptism of, of fire. <laughs> baptism of fire. Also called in Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, it's, it's also called, referred to as, um, what? As suffering. The baptism of fire or suffering is, it's a setup by Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is where we're going to sing that song again. <laughs> it's a setup by Jesus Christ where he permits whether by circumstances or otherwise, he permits certain rollout of events that are difficult but are useful in disenfranchising the soul of the control of the man. I don't know. So hear me. This, is, this will be a good way to explain it. Jacob in Laban's house is divinely arranged. Hear that? Hello. Do we do Hebrews? Ah, we'll quote them from Hebrews 5, 6, 7, 8. The Bible says, and Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. So the Lord arranges or orchestrates events, some of which are difficult, with a clear intention of breaking the soul's control over the man. Have you ever noticed that uh, you can find somebody who is successful in business and then they give their life to Jesus and they meet the downside of the roller coaster? <laughs> what is the Lord doing to that person? Their worldly success is driven or orchestrated. It's Esau's skill. Esau knows how to hunt his food. So it's driven by human or self-ability. 
And so the Lord sets them up to break the control of the soul so that they can shift and have an inclination to spirit. Ah, this is a hard doctrine. Who shall accept it? So Jesus Christ himself administers this baptism. And, and as the word baptism used rightly, so it's an immersion. <laughs> it's an immersion. You find yourself in a face where you even wonder, does he still care? Is he anywhere near me? And I'm not speaking of Satan's activity. Now I'm talking about an administration by God himself. A useful process, what purpose does it serve? It, 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 um, it, it exposes the soul and soul's vulnerability and, and brings the man to the end of himself. I, I really thought, how will we say this? It transfers control from soul to spirit. What's that? I know you renewed your mind. That I have explained. Now I'm talking of a set of events that push you to the end of your own ability. It begins to train you to shift from logic to revelation. How on earth was Jacob ever going to get out of Laban's hold? How on earth? How? He had no choice but to begin leaning back on God. How was Moses ever, ever, how was Moses ever going to undertake that assignment in Egypt? He was unwilling to go. He had God. He saw the burning bush. He had the voice of the angel. He was unwilling to go. It was going to be minus his, minus his ability. Minus his ability. The degree or the extent to which his own ability steps into that assignment corrupts it and sets him up for failure. And my God has a habit. He doesn't fail. <laughs> so if the failure is going to be caused by the instrument, then he processes the instrument. Well, there's a reason they call him the refiner's fire. Because he will purge you of self so you can be pure in his hand for his purpose. Now, this is not the gospel people like. I know that. You think I like it? <laughs> no, I don't like it. And whomsoever the Lord loves, he chastises. Hebrews chapter 5. What is a chastisement? It's a baptism. Oh, here's a good news for you. Some good news for you. Every time you open your mouth and say, Lord, take me higher. <laughs> he brings it. Because there's only one way to go higher. Death to self. And you will not be stoppable. Hello. So the Lord orchestrates, sets you up, prepares for you, designs, arranges a set of circumstances that help you break the soul's control because he brings you to the end of your devices. Hello. So when you see Paul write, oh man, <laughs> when you see Paul write, 
But he says a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me. And I asked the Lord time and time again to end this. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength becomes apparent in your weakness. So then what is the Lord telling us in that scripture? I will bring you to a place of weakness in order that my strength may be obvious. It's a good place to dance. It's a good place to dance. So there is the part where you say, I put off, I mortify the works of the flesh. And it results in a death to self. I told you that last week. But there is the side where you say, I yield, process me to a place where I have no self in me. Paul said, lest I be exalted above measure by the revelations I have. What happened? A messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me. What's going on? What was the message of Satan? Some people think it's, it's sickness, ailment. No, there was no ailment. It is the endless persecution. Endless. Every town the man went, even where he sneaked in, it's as if they got windies there and begin to deal with him. I told you last week, and I want to end with this. See, the instructions of God to you are ridiculous. And there is no way, no way you will obey them if there is any inclination to logic within you. No way. No way, no way. Ask Jonah. No way. <laughs> Ask Jonah. No way. God, speak all you want. I'm not going. Do you know who the Ninevites were? Do you know who the Ninevites were? They were a bunch of dangerous, murderous people. And every town they conquered, they slaughtered everyone and they heaped their heads. And so when, those, the, when the flesh was decomposed, there were pillars or, or piles of skulls. And that was the indication that the Ninevites were here. And God is telling Jonah, go. I want to tell them I will judge them. Why on earth are you giving them the warning? Just judge them. <laughs> Why? Why are you giving them the warning? You should be, in fact, if you drop stones on Sodom and Gomorrah, drop boulders on these ones. They're bad. And God is like, go. Jonah is like, ain't going. It's a wrong instruction. Ain't going. I'm not boarding. Not body. And so God says, fine. So he takes the wrong ship. God is after the ship. Have you seen ridiculous things here? This guy, people are losing. It's a trade route. People are losing their goods, their possessions. Things are being thrown overboard. The man is lower deck hiding. He knows, you're after me, but I ain't coming. When they've cast everything, there's nothing else to cast. Like, this, where's this guy? So they find him, and they say, you are sleeping, and people are crying. Things. You, Jonah tells them, listen, the reason I didn't join you is because I know the problem. I'm the problem. God's after me, and I'm not budging. They say, okay, overboard. In fact, he's the one who tells them, if you throw me overboard, you'll be safe. If I hang around here, <laughs> so they throw him overboard. He's not budging. So what does the Lord do? He has set him up. A set of circumstances that bring him to the end of his wits. In the whale's belly. Three days. Dude is not dying. 
just being transported in deep darkness. It's death. That's death. That is death. That is death. And so when he came to the end of himself, Jonah cries from the whale's belly. Then God says, I will impart a lift. Vomit him in Nineveh, lest he tries another trick, you know. Let's go preach. In one of my own persuasions, it was easy to listen to Jonah as a prophet. When a half-digested man is preaching to you, you don't joke with that message. The God who did that to him is coming. You repent. <laughs> the Nidavites declared a fast even for animals. We're, we're repenting. But how does the book of Jonah end? Jonah is angry with God and he tells God, I knew you'd forgive them. Why? Because his logic keeps coming into the assignment. His logic keeps coming into the assignment. Listen, people. There is a divine call upon your life. It is not going to be done by human power. But it's one thing to say amen. The other side is to say, Lord, process me. Refine as fire. Purify me. And what does God do? He will, I'm prophesying with my eyes wide open. He will set you up and he will arrange circumstances and events. That's why I said, if you are willing, that you will go through to divorce you of the soul's control. I'll close with this quick story. It's one. It's a good time to stop. In 2012, the Lord... Oh, sorry. Don't mind, sir. Just leave me. Just leave me. In 2012, the Lord spoke to us and through a series of Dolly, Dolly, Dolly dreamt so much. You know, that I began to wonder if she's sleeping too much. So many dreams, dreams in succession, and the Lord was speaking. It was time for us to make a big transition in our lives. So many dreams, and in fact, at first I was so busy doing what I was doing, I didn't hear nothing. So much that she dreamt even when she had a nap, a nap. Fifteen minutes, how can you dream? And dreams. At some point, I felt overwhelmed by the dreams, and I told her, just write them. Write them, I'll read them in my own free time. Don't tell me any more dreams. Just write them. So there were so many dreams, and all of them, the Lord is speaking. It's time, it's time, it's time, it's time, it's time, it's time, it's time. And at some point, I know, I know my wife. I know, I know her. She's not crazy. She's not crazy. So at some point, I had to settle down and pray and find out what is the Lord saying. I had some intense times of prayer, and the Lord began to speak to me also. And I took the book of her dreams, uh, the book of her dreams, We'll add that to our Bible. <laughs> and I took the book of my dreams and I began to read these dreams and whoa, and I could see clearly God is telling us it's time to take the next step. It's time to take the next step. It's time to take the next step. And the next step was not reasonable. It was not reasonable. How does, it's not reasonable. How does an adult man exit a place where you draw revenue to support your family. But not just exit. You exit you with your wife, with your children. It's, just, it's, like, it's like diving into water with sharks, isn't it? And 
God took time and he began to speak to me and he spoke to me. And some of the things that the Lord started speaking to me were clear indications around the mandate or the assignment on my life. Very strong pictures. Very strong. And I knew we've come there. And in September uh, 2012, we expressed to the leadership of the ministry we're in, it's time for us to go. And so we served uh, three months uh, notice space and did some transitions. And uh, uh, in December, we were released, but we still had a month. And so in January, we ventured out, out like this year. Now, all along, the Lord is showing you, I am the rock solid ground. You're coming to this solid ground and everything. Then when January 1 reaches, the rock disappears. Andrew, what are you saying? The setup was, I'm telling you, if the Lord told me, Dolly, you are there, you can hear me. If the Lord told me what it was going to be like, I was not going to follow. I would have journeyed him. Lord, I will serve you in my way. That's what I would have done. 2013, January, we stepped into what for us was the unknown. And I tell you, when I was making that step, I knew. I had clear, a clear mind. I knew, I, God, I'm going to serve you. This is how I'm going to serve you. And I mapped them out, and I knew what I was going to do. And we stepped out, and in January, the Lord gets us out, and he says, now pray. Of course, you believe you pray January first. By January 7th, you have had him, isn't it? It's time to go. No, February, pray. March, pray. April, pray. June, pray. July, pray. August, pray. And we ended up spending a year in the house until the, the security people at the gate asked the children, Babenyo nafanyanga ni? And I'll tell you something that I want to remind you what I said. I kept shouting here, not without evidence. Not without evidence. And in the midst of all those, he provided. Oh, listen, it is rosy to say the testimony now. Very nice. It's flowery. It looks interesting. Oh, he provided for our whole year. He paid our rent. He fed us. He clothed us. He covered us on everything. God is faithful. It was hell. <laughs> Every day was hell. And we were thinking, God, you forgot us. Dolly said, this is what Dolly said. I had to use this illustration. He said, God told us, come, I want to fix your car for high-speed movement. Kuja, kuja, kuja. Enter here, enter here. Align, align, align. Then we aligned nicely after aligning. He brought the jacks. He lifted the car. He removed the wheels. He put stones. Then he took off. So you're in this car that can go nowhere. He shut us down, shut us down. That was very difficult for a person obsessed with five-year plans, 10-year plans. Very difficult. I had no idea what next day looked like. And I tell you, I've said it before, we died. We came to the end of ourselves. Everyone, everyone who knew we are stupid was, had a confirmation that we were really <laughs> stupid. Very stupid people. <laughs> Everybody got their confirmation. Who knew we were stupid? I mean, nothing. But we came to the end of our weeks. February, about February 10th, I was about to start a fellowship. I had marked it. I had set the place. I had found the place and everything. And I come to Dolly. She's my bouncing wall. I'm like, Dolly, so this is it. She's like, 
won't fight you, but you are alone. I can't hear God saying we go there. Of course, it was my brilliance, intelligence going there, isn't it? I was figuring out how to do things and do the work of God. Eh, eh, eh. When he finally gave us a release and he said, now I want you to do something. There's something he wanted us to do was sell vegetables. And who are our clients? The people we've pastored. Every delivery was with death. <laughs> Every single delivery. But he taught us vital lessons. He transformed us. He, if he has me sell vegetable again, I'll do it gladly. He changed us. He processed us. So that I learned a vital, you know, anchor truth I ran with. Everybody wants change if it is instant. But that's not true. The salvation of your soul is progressive. Therefore, the processes will be progressive. How many times will God baptize you with fire? Once? No. As often in remembrance of him. <laughs> as often as is required to get you to the next stage. So whatever I say today, you can stand up, please. Whatever I say. There are heights that God has designed for you to scale or get to. The divine mandate remains true. The older will serve the younger, but it will not be realized by the younger's machinations. Moses, the call to deliver those people is very true, but it will not be realized by Moses' working or input. Moses' strategy, kill one at a time, bury in the sand. One day we will overwhelm them when population count, then we take over. Nah. How does God process you? By bringing you to the end of yourself, by killing self. He has to bring the soul to a place where it is obvious that the soul has failed. <laughs> he has to. Does he forcefully do this? No, if you are willing. See, it's a death to self, but if you are willing. What happens if you are unwilling? Ask Jonah. The book ends. God shelves Jonah, God goes his way. He's the only prophet in the Bible who gave one prophet. <laughs> Just one. And it didn't come to pass. <laughs> he didn't destroy them. They repented. This is... He'll shelf you. If you are unwilling, he'll shelf you. I am serious. If you are unwilling, he will shelf you. What do I mean by shelfing you? The level you have attained with him, that will be it. The higher levels will never be unlocked. That's where you'll operate. That will become your current and your only space. That's it. Have you met people? whose only testimonies of their walk with God are what happened in the past, he will put a pause until you're willing. Then he will unlock the next level. Is the process easy? No, it's not. I've just skimmed over 2013 in a few sentences. No, it's not. No, 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 it's not. Is it doable? Absolutely. The self can be brought to death. 